Salvete omnes. Welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 19b, Aeneid Book 4, Lines 300-361. In this episode, you will learn that the sentence, I wish you had gotten me pregnant, is exactly what every ex-boyfriend wants to hear, and stop complaining is exactly what every ex-girlfriend wants to hear. Saiwit in absanimi totam quincensa per urbem bacatur qualis commutis excita sacris thias ub auditos stimulants trietere cabaco orgia nocturnus que vocat clamore citairon tan disineon compellat vocibus ultro dissimilaretiam sperasti perfide tantum posse nefas tacitusque mea decedere terra Nec te noster amor, nec te data dextera quondam, nec moritura tenet crudeli funera dido. Quin et iber no moliri sidera classem, et mediis properas aquilonibus ire per altum, crudelis? Quid, si non arvaliena domosque notas peteres, et troi antiqua maneret, troia per undosum peteretur classibus aequor? Mene fugis? Per eg has lacrimas dextram quetuam te, quandaliud mihi jam miserae nihil ipsa reliqui, per canubia nostra, per inceptos hymenaeos, si bene quid de te merui, fuit aut tibi quicquam dolce meum, miserere domus labentisetistam oro, si quisad hoc precibus locus, exuementem. Te propter, libicae gentes, nomadumque tyranni, o de renfensi tyrii. Te propter eundem, extinctus pudor, et quas sola sidera dibam, fama prior. Cui me moribundam deseris hospes, hoc solum nomen quoniam de conjuge restat. Quid moror, an mea pygmalian, dum moinia frater destruat, aut captam ducat gaetulas yarbas. Saltem si qua mihi de te suscepta fuiset ante fugam suboles, si quis mihi parvulus aula luderet aeneas, qui te tamen ore referet. Non equidomnino captac de certa viderer. Dixerat, ille iovis monitis immota tenebat, luminet obnixus curam subcorde premebat. Tandem pauca refert. Ego te quae plurima fando enumerare vales numquam regina negabo, promeritam, nec me meminisse pigebit elisai, dum memor ipse mei, dum spiritus hos regit artus, pro re pauca loquar. Neque gank abscondera furto sperawi, nefinge fugam, nec conjugus umquam praetendi taidas aut haec in foidera veni. Me, si fata meis paterentur ducere vitam, auspiciis, et sponte mea componere curas, urbem Trojanam primum, dulcesque meorum reliquias colerem, priami tectalta manerent, et recidiva manu posuissem pergama victis. Sed nunc, 
Italiam magnam Grineas Apollo, Italiam laiciae usera capesera sortes, hic amor, haec patriest. Si te Carthaginus arces, poinissam libicae quaspectus detinet urbis, quae tan dausonia tucros considera terra, invidiest. Et nos fas extera quaerera regna. Me, patris anquisae quotiens umentibus umbris nox operit terras, quotiens astrignea surgunt ad monet insomnis et turbida terra dimago, me puer ascanius capitisquin uria cari, quim reg nesperiae fraudet fatalibus arvis. Nunc etien ter preis di wum iove missus abipso, testor utrumque caput celeres mandata per auras detulit. Ipse deum manifest in lumina vidi, intron tem muros vocem quis auribus hausi. Desine me que tuis incendere teque querelis, Italiam non sponte sequor. Lacking of mind she rages, and, inflamed, raves through the whole city. Like Thias roused by the ritual stirred up, when, after Bacchus has been heard, the triennial rites spur her on and nocturnal Cytheron calls her with a shout. Finally, she accosts Aeneas voluntarily with these voices. Did you even hope, treacherous one, to be able to conceal so great a sin and quietly to depart from my land? Does neither our love nor a right hand once given, nor Dido about to die in a cruel death, hold you? In fact, are you even hurrying to prepare your fleet in the winter constellation and to go through the deep in the middle of the north wind's cruel one? What, if you were not seeking foreign fields and unknown homes, and ancient Troy remained, would Troy be sought by your fleets through the way-filled sea? Are you fleeing me? I, by these tears in your right hand, since I myself have nothing else left to my wretched self, by our marriage, by wedding hymns begun, if I have deserved anything well from you, or anything of mine was sweet to you, pity the falling house and cast off, I beg you, if there is still any place for prayers, that intention of yours. Because of you the Libyan nations and rulers of the nomads hate me, the Tyrians are hostile to me. Because of the same you, my pudor has been extinguished, and my earlier reputation by which alone I was approaching the stars. For what do you, guest, since this name alone is left from a husband, desert me, about to die? What am I waiting for, until either my brother Pygmalion destroys my walls, or Gaetulian Yarbus takes me captive? At least, if there had been any offspring conceived to me from you before your flight, if some little Aeneas were playing for me in the hall, who at least would bring you back by his face, truly I would not seem entirely captive and deserted. She had spoken. That one was holding his eyes unmoved because of the warnings of Jupiter, and Resolute was pressing its concern beneath his heart. Finally, he brings back a few things. I will never deny that you, queen, have deserved to say the very many things which you are strong enough to enumerate by speaking. Nor will it displease me to remember Elissa while I am mindful of myself, while breath rules these limbs. I will say a few things on behalf of my situation. I neither hoped, don't imagine, to hide this flight by deception, nor did I ever hold out the torches of a husband or come into these agreements. If the fates allowed me to lead my life by my own auspices and to manage my concerns of my own accord, I would dwell in the city of Troy first and would cherish the sweet remnants of my people. The lofty buildings of Priam would remain, and I would have established by my own hand Pergama restored for the conquered. But now, Grenae and Apollo, the Lycian lots, have ordered me to pursue Italy, great Italy. 
This is my love, this is my homeland. If the citadels of Carthage and the site of a Libyan city hold you, a Phoenician, what then is the envy for Teucrians to settle in Ausonian land? And for us it is right to seek foreign kingdoms. The troubled image of my father Anchises warns me and terrifies me in sleep, as often as night covers the lands with damp shadows, as often as the fiery stars rise, about my son Ascanius and the wrong to his dear head, whom I am depriving of the kingdom of Hesperia and faded fields. In fact, now the messenger of the gods, sent by Jupiter himself, I swear on each head, has brought down commands through the swift breezes. I myself saw the god in the clear light entering the walls, and I drank in his voice with these ears. Stop inflaming me and you with your complaints. I pursue Italy not of my own accord. Last time, our friend Fama had brought report to Dido about Aeneas' plan to get his ships ready to leave in secret. Dido then completely loses her mind, and Virgil makes a comparison between her and Thais, according to mythology, the first of the Maenads. Also known as Bacchants, these were the female worshippers of Bacchus Dionysus, the god of wine and drunkenness, who during their rites would dress in animal skins and, through a combination of dancing, ritual, and intoxicants, would enter into a state of ecstatic frenzy. Maenads possessed of Bacchic madness are reported as being able to work miracles like drawing milk and honey from streams or the ground and walking through fire without being burned, but also ripping animals and people apart with their bare hands. In Euripides' tragedy The Bacchae, Penthus, the king of Thebes, bans the worship of Dionysus in his city. In response, Dionysus converts all the women in the city into Maenads. They leave the city and move into the woods, and Dionysus convinces Penthus to go spy on them. He is, of course, discovered, and he is torn to pieces by his own mother in her frenzy, who parades his head through the city on a stake, hallucinating that she has killed a mountain lion. So Virgil, comparing Dido to a maenad, clearly lets you know her mental state, and Dido finds Aeneas and lets him have it. During her speech, Dido shifts through several different emotions, ranging from sadness and despair to anger and desperation. She furiously accuses him of trying to hide his plans, questions his leaving in the middle of winter, a bad travel time for sailing the Mediterranean, begs him to stay in the name of their marriage, blames him for her loss of face and reputation with her own people and the nations around her, sarcastically reminds him that he is a guest in her house, says that she is about to die, and wishes that he had gotten her pregnant. And Virgil constructs these lines, particularly the long, rambling, run-on sentence that is lines 314 to 319, in such a way that her speech reflects the jumbled and incoherent nature of her thoughts. But it is the simple, direct, two-word question, Mene Fugis, in line 314, that is the most poignant and heartbreaking statement uttered in Book 4. In the middle of her speech, Dido blames Aeneas for her loss of pudor. Like Virtus and Pietas, we don't really have a single English word that conveys the full extent of meaning of pudor. The word carries the idea both of feelings of shame and sense of shame, and one's modesty, virtue, honor, propriety, and sense of what actions are decent and what actions would bring shame on you. But pudor was not necessarily linked to feminine behavior the way that Virtus was linked primarily to masculinity, as the Romans viewed a healthy sense of shame as a positive virtue in both sexes. Aeneas's behavior as Dido accosts him echoes back to Book 1. He presses his concern beneath his heart, just like he did while giving his speech to his shipwrecked men. He is Piosineus again, and he will fulfill his responsibilities even at the cost of his personal desires. Aeneas does respond to Dido, telling her that she deserves to say everything she just said, 
and that he will remember her as long as he lives. In this sentence, he calls Dido by the name Alyssa, the simplest explanation of this being that this reflects her Phoenician name in much the same way that Aeneas' son is called both Ascanius and Eulis inside the poem. He then addresses each piece of her accusation in what he calls a few words that in total are longer than the whole of Dido's speech to him. In direct response to Dido's Tune Sperasti, Aeneas replies with Neque Sperawi and his claim that he never hoped to conceal his flight. To her statements about marriage, wedding hymns, and husband, Aeneas responds that he never actually married her. To her question about seeking Troy during the winter, Aeneas responds that if he had his way, he would never have left Troy. Aeneas responds to her comments about the Libyan people and the nomads with a reminder that she is a Phoenician in North Africa, that she got to build up a city in a foreign land, so why is she mad at him for trying to do the same thing? And his declaration that seeking a foreign kingdom is Phas directly counters her accusation of Nephos. In response to Dido's wish for a little Aeneas, he reminds her that he already has a son that he is responsible for, and that his father's ghost is haunting his dreams, reminding him that he is harming Ascanius by staying in Carthage. To Dido's question of what he is leaving her for, Aeneas responds that he has to head to Italy, and that Italy is his love, also shattering her invoking of their love as a reason to stay. Throughout, Aeneas mentions several times that he is not leaving of his own free will, that the gods, Apollo, fate, Jupiter, and Mercury are all forcing him to leave. And finally, Aeneas places the cherry on top of the Sunday that is his deeply empathetic and not at all uncaring and insensitive response to her anguish. He tells her to stop complaining. I leave it up to you to decide who makes the better case, who is more convincing, and who is more to blame. And we will see what happens to bring this tragic story to a close next time. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Virgil's simile of Thias inform his audience about Dido's emotional state? What range of emotions is reflected in Dido's speech to Aeneas? In lines 336 to 361, Aeneas defends himself to Dido. How does he try to address each of her grievances? How do Aeneas and Dido use the idea of children in each of their speeches? How do Aeneas and Dido reflect both sides of the theme of emotion versus reason? Where in Caesar's commentary do we see the conflict of emotion and reason portrayed through opposing speeches? Gratias ago pro auscultando, et gratias maximas, uxori mei, quae vocem didones recitavit. Valete. <laughs>